0: following program was pre-recorded and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management.
1: Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson.
2: Hey, teacher, leave
1: them them Welcome to Education America, where we are working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Join the conversation. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Abigail, I have, I'm have, i so excited for the guest that we have on our show tonight. Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce him.
3: Tonight we have with us, um, we are um, the Ambassador Andrew Bremberg. He Mm -hmm. is the president of the Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. Previously, he served as the representative of the United States to the Office of the United Nations and other international organizations in Geneva. Ambassador Bremberg has a long history of public service. Prior, Prior to his work at the UN, he served as the assistant to the president and director of the Domestic Policy Council for the executive office of the president. He previously served as policy advisor and counsel on nominations for the Office of Senate Majority Leader. He also worked for the nonprofit MITRE Corporation as senior health policy analyst and department manager and for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Ambassador Bremberg earned a B.A. from Franciscan University of Steubenville in Ohio and a J.D. from Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., he and his wife, Maria, have four children and live in Virginia. And we are really looking forward to chatting with him today about the foundation that he runs and does an excellent job of advocating for. Mm-hmm. Ambassador, welcome to the show.
4: Thank you so much. It's great to be with you today.
1: Yeah. So, Ambassador, we um, have been able to have a conversation with Ken um, and learn a little bit more about the victims of communist um Memorial Foundation and the museum and some of the things that you're working on there. And so what we are really hoping to focus in on today is specifically how we're seeing communism play out in China. And I think it's pretty interesting because we're really seeing that heat up in China yes. right now. And um, I I just am so glad that we're having you on to speak about this and you being having served as an ambassador, and I think you've only been in your role with the Victims of Communism group since 2021, um, you're coming from personal experience in dealing with these issues. And so can you tell us what communism in China looks like today?
4: Absolutely. And as, likewise, I'm so excited to have this conversation. You guys are doing such important work at reaching young people. And that, that's really the mission about mm-hmm. found, our foundation. And I'm so glad that Ken's been able to talk with you about both the museum and our new curricula resource that we've just been making available to teachers. But yes, it's uh, the situation of communism in China today, uh, this is actually why I came to the Victims of Communism Foundation when I left government service, mm-hmm. serving as the ambassador in the UN. Mm-hmm. My time in the UN was incredibly eye-opening, mm-hmm. seeing the challenge and frankly, threat, by the Chinese Communist Party today. Mm-hmm. That's not something I think most people are aware of. Right. Um, and it wasn't until serving abroad, working in, you know, the UN, what most people think of as this wonderful, you know, international organization where countries come together on equal footing to have mm-hmm. you know rules, to work together for peace and prosperity and you know, development, uh, and to See them working so aggressively to advance a communist ideology was shocking. But mm-hmm. let me just come mm-hmm. back to your actual question: What does it look like?
2: Mm-hmm.
4: What it looks like is you know 21st century technology enabled totalitarianism. Mm. You know, Scary. I don't know if, if you know if all your listeners you know have done their reading, read you know 1984. Oh, mm-hmm.
3: this is exactly what I was thinking of. Worse. Yes, yeah,
4: right. But worse, because, uh, you know, 1984 didn't expect the real uh, or didn't fully anticipate the real technological innovations that would take place and enable that. And, right. you know, for, for your listeners who may not know about how we got here with China. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Chinese Communist Party you know, actually celebrated its 100th year anniversary. Mao Zedong hmm. led a civil war in China. Mm-hmm. to take over the country with a communist leadership, which succeeded uh, mm-hmm. after the end of World War II. And mm-hmm. very brief history. He engages in this massive, you know, very communist ideologically driven forced industrialization
2: mm-hmm.
4: called the Great Leap Forward
2: mm-hmm.
4: that results in the deaths of tens of millions of Chinese.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And then uh, in, in the 1970s, Pushes a policy called the Cultural Revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know th- their their commitment to communism had not been deeply rooted enough. This is frequent in communist regimes where they have to renew the revolution, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this policy leads to the deaths of tens of millions, and frankly, the the persecution, a massive human rights violations of their own citizens for for an extended period of time. And That's then shocking. we see 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, while, while in Central and Eastern Europe, we see the wall fall and the end of Soviet communism. Right. In China, we see Tiananmen Square, mm-hmm. which you saw oh, millions yes. of Chinese, not just in Beijing, but around the country, protest similarly to what happened in Europe mm-hmm. for an opening for democracy, for rights. And we saw the brutal crackdown.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, tanks rolled into the square and slaughtered student protesters.
1: Yeah. Stunning. A stunning vision. Stunning. I, I will never forget the vision of the one student standing in front of that tank.
4: Yeah, Tank Man. That's exactly. We, we still to this day do not know his identity. He was, of course, disappeared,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and we don't know if he was, uh, you know, killed or alive or, or so what sad. happened to that, you know, mm-hmm. that, that iconic image mm-hmm. of a man standing in the front of a row of tanks yeah. coming towards, you know, student protesters.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and you know. In 1989, we were a much more connected world than we were back when Mao took over and even in the early 1970s. And so I remember being rather stunned that they were allowed to just crack down on their people this way. And there was no real world outcry or reaction. Um, you know, I was young at that time. Um, so I wasn't able to do a lot of reading. I was in, in the thick of having children and, but you know, I'm kind of curious. What, what do you think allows them to perpetuate their totalitarianism and their, their hardlined, you know, ways with their people in a culture like we live in today where there's so much more Um, technology to be able to show the world what's really happening. It seems like people come to accept it and they don't want to speak out against it for some reason.
4: That's right, that's right and I think there's two elements to that. So first um, in the immediate aftermath of Tiananmen, there was a strong reaction from the U.S. and from Western countries of shock and horror at Mm -hmm. at this human atrocity that that Mm -hmm. had taken place by the CCP.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: And the government basically responded saying, well, we want to open our markets and, and, and liberalize our economic relationship with you. So we'll, we will work together. And the Western governments, the U.S., including under both mm-hmm. Presidents Bush and Clinton at the mm-hmm. time, um, went for it.
2: Yeah, we, we thought that we, would we, open it up. We pulled back.
4: exactly. we pulled back, fact, we pulled back mm-hmm. from our actual moral positions of standing against mm-hmm. communism and. Um, that had now just fallen in central and eastern Europe. And there was this belief at the time, I think, you know, unfortunately naive, yes. that well, it's fallen in central Europe. You know, the Soviets were the scarier communist power at the time. So mm-hmm. this now poorer, smaller China, was the idea. We'll be able to you know, build economic relationships. We'll be able to make lots of money off of this. But, but by doing so, um, as we Um, integrate our economies. Mm -hmm. They will liberalize their political structures Mm -hmm. to become more like us, Mm -hmm. and that was a game Mm -hmm. that the Chinese played clearly for twenty years. Yeah. So, from you know the beginning of the nineteen nineties through the first decade of the two thousands, this is a game that they play where um, they would say many of the right nice things, look to externally Mm -hmm. cooperate and work with the U.S. and other Western countries. All the while, um, you know, using this as an opportunity to strengthen their economy, pull in investments from around Mm -hmm. the world Mm -hmm. to help strengthen their own domestic growth. China has grown double digit economic growth to be able to basically kind of buy off their domestic population Mm -hmm. to say, we'll give you a higher standard of living with less freedom. Mm -hmm. But this is the kind of deal that that they kind of made. And this all starts to change 10 years ago, where Xi Jinping, the Mm -hmm. current New ruler in China takes over Mm -hmm. and really starts to change things. And you see the more kind of Maoist, Mm
2: -hmm. kind of
4: brutal, true kind of communist ideologue come through. Mm -hmm. And in the last 10 years, as we've seen, the crackdowns on their own domestic population, the reimposition of communist economic policies Mm -hmm. um, in terms of exerting greater levels of state control over their own domestic economy.
2: Mm
4: -hmm. And their increasing um, military presence and, you know, aggressive behavior in the entire Asia Pacific
2: mm-hmm. are
4: all signs that we see um, not this you know, hopeful reformist government, but one that is in the process, as we speak, of brutally cracking down and tightening its communist ideology mm-hmm. on its own population. hmm
1: which is it it is again it's so stunning to me and i know that you mentioned early on you know what is communism in china and you said well you know we're in the 21st century or 21st century totalitarianism totalitarianism but enabled by the technology sector and i remember reading i don't know how many years ago an article in the wall street journal it was it was a long time ago now um that Google was considering entering China and they decided not to at the time because they didn't want to be used as a tool of the Chinese Communist Party against the people. But then it was only, I felt like it was just a few years later that suddenly they caved and they went in. And now, you know, you hear recent reports that Apple turned off their airdrop feature. To prevent the dissidents who are trying to fight for their freedom right now from being able to easily share videos with one another. And, um, how do we end up with these Western companies, these high tech companies that, that are built off of capitalism who often are woke, but still defending very oppressive regimes like China and Iran through their technology. You know, how do we end up in that place?
4: No, this is exactly right. Um, The role that technology, including, as you said, Western, you know, technology companies plays in China is deeply uh, disturbing. So, you know, as I mentioned, you had this 20 now, 30 year period of continued economic integration between the United States and China for a long time. That was mostly about manufacturing. We outsourced cheap labor, uh, Mm -hmm. manufacturing for cheap labor, and it was seen as an opportunity to get goods cheaply, which is still the case in certain sectors today. Mm -hmm. But then what happened as we helped build their Chinese middle class through our economic relationship, companies realized China is not just an opportunity for labor, but it's a potential market.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's
4: why you see across the tech industry, the entertainment industry, whether it's Hollywood or sports like the NBA, mm-hmm. that are basically kowtowing
2: mm-hmm. to
4: the CCP yeah. because they want market access. They want to be able to sell. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not just wanting to buy stuff from China now. Yeah. They want to be able to sell you know, products, games, um, services Mm -hmm. into china as a huge it's a a huge country with potentially large customers base and that's you know that's what drives this you know corporate interest in in doing so and you know we mentioned the tech companies this is one that we here at victims of communism felt it was extremely important Mm -hmm. in fact earlier this year we released a first report called our corporate complicity scorecard okay where what we did is we actually examined Eight U.S. tech companies mm-hmm. and looked at their business activities inside China um, to examine, you know, what level of and we gave them grades, you know, A through F mm-hmm. um, of, of, of what is their corporate complicity with some of the worst activities taking place in China. And let me just say at the outset, the way this report was done, just because they did business in China, we did not hold that against them mm-hmm. in, in, in the scorecard. Mm-hmm. What we did is we examined their participation in supporting the CCP's military modernization the modernization of their PLA People's Liberation Army, mm-hmm. their participation in surveillance technology mm-hmm. and their direct um, presence or participation in Xinjiang, which I hope we can talk about in a moment, but oh, yes, Northwestern yes, yes. region of China where they're committing a genocide. So mm-hmm. those are the three criteria we used okay. and examined major U S tech companies, just like Apple, Facebook, Google, Mm -hmm. Microsoft, Intel. And, you know, I encourage people to see it off of our website, victimsofcommunism.org. You can find our corporate complicity scorecard where we show disastrously how these companies, again, not just doing business in China, but are involved in these types of activities.
1: Mm. And quite a few, it sounds Mm -hmm. like, are, right? I mean, that's what you found. Oh, absolutely.
4: Yes, absolutely.
1: And it's all driven by corporate greed. Um, But I guess I'm still fine, and I do want to get to those files, but I'm just still stunned that there is such hypocrisy because these are the same tech companies that accuse Americans of being racist and oppressors, and um, yet they are not willing to call out the Chinese for those same things that are true atrocities happening right now. Mm-hmm. not 150, 250 years ago. Um, so the 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 corporate greed is so deep that they're willing to play whatever game they have to play in the U.S. to get the favoritism, I suppose, of the left. And then in China, it's a completely different game. It is.
3: And, and Ambassador, you mentioned that, you know, we had kind of this great reopening of markets with China. Um, and at, my understanding is that, is that that was done uh, with what I would call a naive notion that if we begin Mm -hmm. to trade with China, they will begin to adopt more Western values, um, human rights values. And that's my understanding that, um, you know, they've been very tight about what they allow out of the country and what they allow the rest of the world to see how they treat people. However, um, you know, we are aware that the victims of communism has come across some files that have given a Mm -hmm. much more at you know accurate picture of what is actually going on and we'd love mm-hmm. to hear more about that.
1: Yes.
4: Yeah, so this is directly related to uh, the furthest northwest province. When I say province, I mean not province, it's a massive region, basically the 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 size of Tibet in the northwestern region of China called Xinjiang.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, that historically um is a Central Asian, not Han ethnically Chinese, but more Central Asian a Muslim minority population mm-hmm. that has largely been, you know, for the last hundred years under Chinese control, but left pretty autonomously to kind of govern itself and not, hand, uh, not present so much. So under Xi Jinping, he begins this new crackdown of cracking down on this population. Their, their ethnicity, they're called Uyghurs.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and
4: they're, as I said, a Muslim minority in China. It's a region of oh, over, you know, 24 million people. So it's not a small area. Wow. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Um, and what the CCP realizes is that because of their ethnic and religious difference from the rest of China, that is a source of, you know, um, of a threat to to the regime. Mm-hmm. So they want to destroy the Uyghur identity and culture and religion. So what they begin doing in around 2016, mostly, is they begin setting up detention or internment camps. Mm-hmm where they go through this entire region and start detaining people you know, for, for no crimes, for no reason, mm. to separate them from their families. Um, and th- this starts to leak out into the world, as you're saying. It's so hard to find out what's happening there.
2: Right, right.
4: And it starts to get, and people are kind of shocked. It's, yeah. Like, this, this can't possibly be true. Right, right. in mean, this day like, and age. Like, right. wait, what? Exactly. It's, yeah. like, it's hard to believe. But more evidence is coming, you know, more accounts keep coming out. The Chinese, of course, have denied everything. And then what happens is in 2018, we release satellite images that show, you know, basically, you know, a year ago, there's this giant field where there's nothing except for like some small building or something. And then 11 months later, there's a massive security compound that's been built there. And we're like, mm. what's that? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and this is the moment when China had to pivot to their to, to their second lie. Their first lie was the denial of anything was happening. Yeah, and then they pivoted. They created the story, which is, oh, this is what they call part of their poverty alleviation programs. These these western oh. rural areas oh. are poor, and then what they had built were they called them vocational education centers.
1: Oh, brother! So
4: I'm thinking like oh. residential community college. Right, right. So we're asking, like, why are there like barbed wire fences around right. it? And why yeah. are there like security <laughs> towers? But they're just, you know, lying and saying, no, no, this is just about protecting students, and this is how we're helping educate, oh, you know, the, these you know poor minorities in Western China, and, th- and this is their 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 lie, and they, and they hold to this lie for for a while, and then this year it was truly incredible. Um, a hacker. Not, not, not affiliated directly with my organization at all, mm-hmm. a hacker managed to hack uh, CCP police stations in Xinjiang. Wow. And was able to steal tens of thousands, let me make sure that sinks in, tens of, tens of thousands of files from their computer systems. Wow. And gave that to our organization. And the director of our China Studies program, Dr. Adrian Zenz, who is the world expert on what is happening in Xinjiang, given his... Long work on China's um, ethnic minority and labor mm-hmm. policies
2: mm-hmm.
4: has led a team to uh, translate and analyze these documents. And when I say files, you know, it was files of all types—not just documents, but images. We we we, oh, we, we received the first images from inside these camps.
1: Oh my!
4: And guess what? Wow! It's not—it's not community college. Yes, <laughs> it's
1: not night we're classes. Not, helping. not what's
4: happening we're, here. We're
1: not helping uh, this. It's the extremely poor kids. clear. Yeah.
4: Mm. We, 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 we saw, I mean, because if you think about hacking a prison,
2: mm-hmm.
4: those are the types of files that basically we get. So um, it was just absolutely stunning. You saw um, files that had individually identifiable information on hundreds of thousands of people oh my. In, the, in particular counties within the region, just, just within a particular county. But what they had done is they basically evaluated and processed, from our estimates, 90 percent of the entire adult population in a county, like every wow. name and, and all their information to determine what level threat they posed and whether they would be detained or not. Oh my And then goodness. what they actually did is then they actually detained 15 percent of the entire adult population. Fifteen
1: percent. I had no idea it was that high. Wow.
4: Now, of course, you, you, you would think that this must be because there's Saying this is about security. Now, um, you would imagine that this would be like young men, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But no, the numbers of not just women but elderly women that are detained is just shocking. And what's clear, but but if you understand what they're doing, it makes sense because, like in so many cultures, older women are you know, the heart of both family and cultural transmission. Mm. These are moms and grandmothers that are passing on language, tradition, religion, mm. culture in the family. Mm. That, that That is all built around. And if you want to eradicate an identity, if mm-hmm. you want to eliminate it without, you know, the, 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 the messy work of executing millions of people, which mm-hmm. thankfully has not been what they've done, at least not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to be wanting to do so through just kind of assimilation and cutting off all cultural transmission. So as part of this mass detention, they then bring in um, Han Chinese to try to force at times intermarriage with Han and Ugh. ban the teaching of the Uyghur language to students, um, Wow! greatly restrict any, any expression of Muslim religious identity. I mean, in these files, you know, under reasons for detention, we had individuals that were detained because they had asked to learn about the Quran from their grandmother, or like they started growing a longer beard. I oh mean, this is what they're
1: goodness. doing.
4: Wow! Um, so, 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 so these files have just been incredible. This year, we made all of this public. It's been so important to the world see. You know, this is a genocide taking yes. place today in Western China, where, according to these estimates, upwards of two million people have been detained, oh and then um, in the in the normal communist function, they're not just detained, they're then put to forced labor. Yes. If you go back in history, the whole gulag system right. started by the Soviets but then spread to other communist countries, including China, is about forced labor. Yeah. And oh. we've seen now the use of forced or slave labor both in Xinjiang, but increasingly concerning moving these individuals as prisoners basically from Xinjiang to other parts of China to work in factories. Really, And now all of us have to ask ourselves, are we personally, you know, financially...
1: Benefiting, yes. And yes. benefiting and
4: paying, um, you know, participating in this horrible genocide.
1: Oh, my goodness. I am so glad that you were able to talk about this. Mm-hmm. This is much bigger and more severe even than I... Because I, I've been staying on top of the Uyghur situation a little bit, but I had no idea it was upwards of 2 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yes. you know, the fact that they get forced forced labor around the country, I thought it was all just isolated up there. Um, and, you know, we're, we're really low on time, and we're going to invite you back again, you know, for next week's show. But maybe in this last, you know, minute and a half, two minutes, um, can you talk about what this organ harvesting epidemic is in China?
4: Uh, again, yet another atrocity. Let me just say for the listeners that want to learn more about the Xinjiang police files, yeah. we have a separate website called the org. And for all of this information, our website or also on social media or Twitter, you know, VO communism, you can follow us there. Mm-hmm. But the organ harvesting is taking place. This, again, is, an, is a horrible atrocity that's been going on in China much longer than what's happening in Xinjiang. Mm-hmm. But again, when people would hear about this, they thought hey, that's so barbaric that can't possibly be true. Right, mm-hmm. the entire world agrees to these basic ethical principles. Right, that, you, know, mm-hmm. you don't take organs from like, from a living person unless it's like an extra one that you know right. that they just you know can give you like a kidney or something. Right. Um, but you wait till the person's dead and then you you know get their organs. Right. Um, but China's, organ, harv- China's um, organ transplantation program was so vast and had no wait times that this couldn't possibly be true, right? Hmm. So um, they even at one time in the past acknowledged they didn't even have a voluntary program and were harvesting organs from prisoners oh my that were, quote, gosh. volunteering.
1: I've never right? heard this. But then,
4: that, 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 then, then they claimed, oh, no, they have an entire voluntary program and what was, we, we have researchers that, that, that work on this again over the last several years, but then just this year, something I'm extremely proud of. Mm-hmm. Our researchers did an examination, again, of Chinese medical records. So their own medical records done by the surgeons in China, mm-hmm. in, written in Chinese. We were able to get those records and examine those records of their surgeries. And our team was able to document that in dozens of cases, if you just read the record, It showed that the way they had actually... Because we had our own researchers, plus we had um, transplant surgeons as consultants on this project to to work with us. Mm -hmm. They were showing how the procedures they used made clear that the patient was still alive when we started the surgery oh for heaven's
3: oh, sakes and yeah. ambassador we're so sorry and we you- are running up against a hard stop here but we look forward to having absolutely. you on again we know that your organization is doing so much to bring awareness and we will absolutely continue this discussion another week but yes you are with us at education america please join us at save the or download us anywhere where you listen to podcasts have a great night